Hey, hey, what's going on, everyone? We are back with another episode of the podcast. Now, I want to take a quick break from all the drama that we always cause on this podcast and just reflect back on some of our favorite albums that have come out this year as we prepare for the R&B Draft Part 2. We had one last year. It went well, and we're going to get ready to do that again. But, you know, just as a teaser, I only have Tom and Ed, so if you guys were expecting Case or whoever, sorry, maybe next time. What's going on, guys? I think Brian Angel's fans are, like, looking for him because he was the king of the last draft. The thing I remember most about that draft was every time someone was picked, someone in the background would be going, ooh. Oh, that was my favorite (laughs) part. I love the excitement. Actually, my favorite part about that is when Brian Angel picked Tank for with the first pick, and it was just dead silence for like 30 seconds. <laughs> I was I, like, I was this is going to be easy. I thought he yeah. didn't know the rules. Like, I, I thought, Kyle, that you didn't explain to him the rules. Right. Well, I did, and he just didn't listen, I guess. So, um, <laughs> I, I want to um, start off the podcast. I mean, we're, we'll get into the Hall of Fame as well, but I want to quickly uh ease into this by talking about our al- favorite albums of course so i mean it's a pretty there's not gonna be any uh guidelines or filter to this so i'm just gonna quickly start it off ed name one of your favorite albums well i'm gonna name not only one of my favorite albums my all-time favorite album and i have gone on record if you're a soul and stereo fan you know this album but when I tell people this, they are pretty shocked to this day because they assume it'll be a Keith album or it'll be a, you know, a classic Stevie Wonder album or something from Whitney. So really the album to me that stands out is my favorite album, the album, the one album I can listen to from front to back and not skip anything is Kelly Price's debut Soul of a Woman, my all time favorite R&B album. Woo. Why? Hey, it's like Case is back on the podcast. Tell, tell us. You got to explain to us what makes it so special, though. Oh, of course. I'm here for that. I can tell you my original introduction to Kelly Price. Me and a friend of mine. Well, hey, coincidentally, friend of mine. So a friend that I had, we knew of Kelly Price because she was originally a background singer for Mariah Carey. And we knew of her. We knew she was... You know, the big girl that sang with Mariah, and she was cool. And she got on a label with Puffy, and they weren't signed, but she was the voice behind More Money, More Problems, and a bunch of those songs that Puff was putting out around that time, around that 97 era. So we were very familiar with her voice, but we didn't really know what she looked like. So when Friend of Mine came out on the radio, I I still remember to this day, there are some songs you remember where you were when you heard the song and I remember being in my car hearing friend of mine and I almost ran off the road because this woman's vocals were so strong and so powerful and so passionate I was like oh my gosh this lady is singing about some stuff but it wasn't just screaming it was clarity in her voice and I was like I think this is the lady I think this is the lady from Mo Money Mo Problem song so my friend and I were talking and we were like, all right, we think this is it. So we're going to finally see what she looks like. We didn't really know what she looked like. We just knew she was like this heavyset lady. So the single for a friend of mine came out. And I remember to this day, some old heads remember this music store called Camelot Music. And we went to Camelot and we went to get the single. 
player the single cover was, and you can look this up on Google and back a brother up. It was like a K, a P, and like a pair of sunglasses. Like she wasn't even on the cover of her own single. And I was like, we'll never see who this lady is. Kelly Price was the original her, is what I'm telling you. Because you <laughs> never knew what she really looked like. And later on, we found out that she was like, if you go look at the More Money, More Problems video, her head is like in the background. So you can kind of see her, but we didn't know that then. But at the time, we just could not place a face with that voice. And eventually, we saw the video, and we came out, and then we saw, okay, this is Kelly Price. So we were fans from Jump. And when this album came out, we were looking forward to it. And for those who might remember, her album dropped, I believe, the same day as Nicole Ray's debut album and Lauryn Hill's Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. 98 was a phenomenal year, if you didn't know. And if they weren't the same day, they were around the same time. Because I remember getting all those albums around the same time. And that album, from front to back, oh my gosh. I mean, she had... 112's Deron produced some songs and wrote some songs. You had, of course, the remix that everyone knows and loves with um, Ron Isley and R. Kelly, which kind of led the way for R. Kelly's storytelling, trapped in the closet, Mr. Biggs type weird stuff that kind of originated there. But her vocals were just so piercing and strong. The love songs were so heartfelt. And then she had songs talking about womanhood and power. And then she, of course, had some spiritual songs because that was her background. It just blew me away. And to this day, I can still listen to that album and get absolute chills. Kelly is one of my favorite artists ever. Of course, nothing has really matched this for me as far as later releases. And she's had some good stuff. But front to back, man, that album will always be my favorite. You know what's cool when I think about Kelly Price just real quick when we first interviewed her and she talked about how proud she was about being a writer and being able to write with R. Kelly because R. Kelly didn't let anyone write with him and he let her collaborate and that, that was a special moment for her I always remember that I thought that was cool yeah because her pen game is so underrated and so strong R. Kelly like you said doesn't let everybody write for him because it's kind of a control freak in that kind of way but when you got a Kelly Price in the studio, you let her do what she do. Yep, for sure. Great story. Um, Tom, do you mind if I go next? Kyle, who's up next? Well, this one. Um, did we lose him? This is one of my favorite albums. I actually really like. Yes, we did. Tem- I won't start then until he comes back. My bad, or- I'm back. I was, I was on mute. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. I was- I was so caught up in the moment, but um, <laughs> I want to talk about an album. This isn't necessarily like a five-star classic or one that everyone's going to remember and go, oh my God, but this is an album personally for me that it kind of has an interesting story and, I, and, and it's Tank's um, Sex, Love, and Pain album. So let me uh, let me draw up the scene for you. This was probably around 2007. I'm a lot long. I'm a lot younger than you guys, so I wasn't Thanks listening to. Thanks for reminding me, Yep. <laughs> so, like I think previously on other podcasts, we've talked about the distinction between you know pure R&B and grown R&B versus that pop R&B thing that was going on in the mid 2000s with Usher mm-hmm. and Sierra and Mario. So. I was more so in that audience because, you know, I was listening to the radio and that was the stuff I was exposed to. So 
in terms of like the traditional grown R&B stuff, I could take it in doses. Like I liked Tyrese, I liked Music Soul Child, I liked that stuff. But you know, if it was, it had to be a little bit commercial for me to listen to it. And for this Tank album, what really got me interested into it was the fact that it was produced by the Underdogs, which at the time, you know, that's Harvey Mason and Damon Thomas. That at the time, those were some of my favorite producers. And I had remembered Tank from Maybe I Deserve, but that was all I knew him from. So when he came with Please Don't Go, that was a radio song. So I'm like, okay, cool, this sounds kind of good. And when I went into the album, mind you, Tank's a great singer. The Underdogs are some of my favorite producers. I listened to that album in 2008. I must have been, oh, I'm sorry, 2007. I must have been 17 at that time, maybe 16. I listened to that album top to bottom. I only liked Please Don't Go. I didn't get it. <laughs> really? I didn't get. I did not get that album at all. I'm like, this is boring. Um, you know, because remember at that time I was listening to Chris Brown. So yeah, please see, don't that's go. not where I thought this story was going. That's interesting. No, I I didn't get it at all. And I think what kept me listening to this one. So what would happen is I would listen to it. And then I would stop listening to it because I'm like, this isn't for me. And then like six months later, I would try listening to it again as I was going through all my favorite underdog productions. And I think slowly and little by little, I started liking a little more of it. Like Heartbreaker became one that I liked. And now when I listen to the album today, I pretty much like the whole album. And it, I guess music does grow with you with time. And uh, I guess at that point in my life, I couldn't experience songs like I Hate You and my heart because that's like the saddest song of all time but now now when i listen to it and maybe now that i've gone through some things i'm like damn this is a pretty good album um not sure if it's a classic but definitely definitely tank's best album undoubtedly but just an album undoubtedly i've learned to appreciate a lot more over the time over time and i think this was sort of like the album that opened me up to more of that grown r&b sound because now when i listen to it i can listen to urban ac music as opposed to 10 years ago when i wouldn't even touch it so that's my uh that's my tank story for you guys i think that's pretty good because most sounds it just shows that music that's good will endure and sometimes you have to mature to catch up with the music because I have a, I work with a lot of younger people and they are R&B fans because they like those freaking Tyler Perry movies and they're always playing like old R&B songs in those movies. So they'll be like, oh, we want to listen to like the older stuff like you do. And they can't get into it outside of like the big, big, big hits because yeah. they just haven't they can't relate to the themes. And I think that once you get to a point where you mature and you can understand when he's talking about the relationship sucks and stuff beyond getting turned in the club and chasing women, because, I mean, I guess you can do that at 10 years old. But when you start relating to some more mature themes, then you can kind of be like, oh, I see what homie was talking about. And it hits a little bit harder. So great point. Yeah. Did you like that album, Ed? Did I like which album? The Sex, Love, and Pain album? Yes, I love that album. And by far, okay. it's Tank, Tank's best album. I know, I know you're a Tank hater, so I just wanted to check. <laughs> oh, please. I'm a Tank hater of... I am a current Tank hater. That is accurate. But no, All I right. love that album. All right, ready for mine? Yep. 
We're ready. I'm gonna go with John B's Cool Relax album. First of all, because I want I, I thought I was John B at the time. I thought he was so cool. <laughs> this <laughs> this fly white guy tried to get the same haircut and everything, man. But seriously. <laughs> it happens to be a pretty good album too though. You know, it's I no, think it's, it's more just, than a pretty good album. That album's off the chain. It, I think it just epitomizes like '90s R&B and what's good about it. Like the music is just super relatable. Uh, they don't know is like one of those timeless ballads. You know, another relatable song for anyone who's been through that. You know, cool, relax the song. Like just, you know, put on a song like that it just makes you feel a certain way. Like that's that's the essence of you know what R&B should do. It should make you feel a certain way. And this is one I could play, you know, front to back. I just like it. Some different types of, of vibes on here, but. Definitely John B's best album, um, and definitely one of my favorites. Still, I listen to it to this day. And I think a lot of people would agree with you, because to this day, and all of you know that you there is someone who can relate to this, there are people to this day who still are like, John B needs to come back and put out another Cool Relax, because that has become so synonymous with his sound and who he is. And it made such an impact on R&B at the time because I'm telling you, I was I was in the midst of R&B when that thing hit and that thing was huge. And it, it goes to what Tom was saying. It was so relatable and it was so heartfelt and he sounded like he was really singing from the heart. When you everybody's gone through a they don't know situation hmm. and that's something that's going to resonate even 20 years later. And that's why fans keep saying we want another cool relaxed. I don't think we're going to ever get another Cool Relax, but it's one of those albums that just hit at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Kyle, have you, do, you, do you like it? Yeah, I like it. It took me some time that. as well. That one, that one took me you some had, time. You had to go back and, and find it, right? Because it wasn't something you necessarily listened to at the time, right? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of that that I'm uh, starting to go back and listen to, and... I mean, that's one of them. I think another one was, um, I'm trying to think of another one that really I had to go back and learn to appreciate um, some of Joe's earlier stuff as well. Mm. Had to really go back. Actually, that one was a little easier, but John B., that was, I, and I'm still trying to get into it. Like, cool, relax, I'm good with, but pleasures you like, that was, that's, that's kind of been a harder one for me to digest, but I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ed, let's name another album. Let's go. Let's let's go three each. So we this is our second one. Well, I'm not gonna go with another of my favorites per se. Well, this is one of my favorites, but I'm gonna go with an album that I love that people don't understand why I love this album because we all have albums that people are like, why do you love that album so much? It's all right, or it's not good at all, or it's garbage, or whatever. But I have an irrational love, and I don't know why. But I absolutely adore Nicole Ray's debut. I do not know why. Like, I recognize it is not a five-star album. But in my ears, it is a five-star album. It is, I think it's because it dropped, again, it dropped the same day as Kelly Price. And it dropped around the time where, I think personally, I had a lot of big things going on in my life. I had just started college. My parents moved. I remember listening to that album for the first time driving to my parents' new house because I was in college, so I hadn't gone to the new house yet. And they, they like moved way out into the country. 
So it takes like 40 minutes to get there. So I listened to this whole album on the drive to the house. And I can just remember just being mesmerized by the album going all the way. It was so upbeat, so fun. I was a huge Missy fan, huge Timberland fan, of course. As you well know, huge player fan. All of those were incorporated into the album with Missy's writing. Um, I think that, um, shout out to our boy Smoke. I think he wrote some songs on that joint that I love. Um, Missy produced, Timberland produced, Lil Mo was there writing. It was just like an all-star cast of my favorite artists at the time. Writing for this artist who was up and coming, showed a lot of talent, and it just shined. That album, to this day, I have a weird, irrational love for. I don't know why, but even to this day, if I drop it in, I'm still like going crazy over it. It's a good pick. What's your? What are your top three favorite songs on the album? If you don't, if you can think of them off the top of your head. Oh man, I mean, just like <laughs> the whole album. But of course, "Make It Hot," the biggest single from that album. I love "Raise Your Frown." That song mm. is the oh, harmonizing okay. on that joint player. And also, like, I can't see. I remember the video was so corny. They were like some Alice in Wonderland thing. But it was ridiculous. But again, this is another album where I love every song. I think there's one song that's just okay. But pretty much everything up there rocks. But those are the three that I probably play the most. Dope. Um, I want to bring up an album as well. Um, this is actually, I think I've talked about this on numerous podcasts, but I want to give a quick shout out to my mom. This is an album that she put me on when I was like six years old, and that's Tony Braxton's Secrets album. And I don't, I don't want to keep regurgitating the same story over and over, but just to put it in perspective, there were a couple of constants in my mom's life during that time. It was Tony Braxton, it was Mariah, it was Whitney, it was Diane Warren, and it was Babyface, and that was all she was about. And that's all I knew at six years old. So, you know, as I started getting older and older and started discovering new music, here comes Timbaland, here comes Pharrell, here comes, you know, all these great producers, a little more hip-hop influence. So I would say in my early uh, pre-teens and even my teens, that was what I was, um, you know, that was what I listened to. And I didn't rediscover this album or really listen to this album again until... There was this girl that I had a huge crush on all throughout high school. We were talking about music. And, you know, she knew that I loved R&B. And she's like, oh, you should listen to this Tony Braxton Secrets album. And I knew that album already, but I just hadn't listened to it. And, guys, I'm telling you, from that moment on, I thought she was the one. She knew (laughs) about an album that I liked, and she randomly brought it up. Um, Turns out she was not the one actually haven't spoken to her in a long time now but i mean this was an album man from top to bottom like how can you how can you argue that this is not one of the best albums of the 90s like and i forgot another person my mom really liked was kenny g so shout out to kenny g wow. but as i listen to this album now it's there's still so many great songs this is like when baby face was really going at it and you know really put a lot of great songs together and seems like every time I listen to this, I find something that I really, really like that I forgot about. And um, even, even just yesterday, I was listening to, what's the song? I Love Me Some Him. Oh, my song right there, player. Fire. And uh, There's No Me Without You is like one of the saddest, saddest, saddest songs of all time. 
and um yeah that was that was a great album it's just r&b at its finest it wasn't you know it wasn't game changing in the fact that you know the production wasn't anything new songwriting was classic babyface but it was just a great r&b album so shout out to tony braxton for that one i feel like that album doesn't get as much love these days as far as being a, a legendary album you hear more about her first album which again if we're talking about favorite albums that's probably in my top 10 her first album a five-star album all the way but that album was really good too and i know that it was groundbreaking as far as sales and the singles off that thing were humongous but man, to me, the album cuts were even better. Like, I love me some him. I'm pretty sure they play that on the radio because I remember hearing that outside of, like, my living room. So I know they were playing that somewhere. But, like, why didn't we get a video for that? Like, there were just so many hidden gems on that album. I got mm-hmm. two questions for you, Kyle. Yep. Number one, does your mom actually know who Diane Warren is? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and number two... Would you say that's her best, that's better than her debut? I personally would say so, but Ed would disagree. Um, we've had this conversation on one of the previous podcasts, and it got pretty heated, but yeah, I would still say it's her best. Hmm. I mean, it's hard to argue. Um, I don't think it's her best. I think it's just, just slightly, just like slightly, it's just an eyelash away, just because that, al- that first album was just so airtight. It was just no flaws in it. I think the second one's just got a little bit of wiggle room there. But I will never discredit it. It is a phenomenal album. Yep. My turn? It's your turn, player. You around here trying to (laughs) conduct things. It's your turn to step up. (laughs) I'm going to go with an album I've talked about before. uh, And that's A. Marie's debut album, All I Have. I think we all really like this one. listen. (laughs) <laughs> this album is when I knew that Tom was I was like alright Tom's a real one because he knows what's up with this album yeah because it seems like it's gone it, it wasn't a massive seller from what I remember and it seems like you know not that it had a cult following but like real R&B heads knew it's like a classic and um, for me it's one I play all the way through I don't necessarily have a favorite like I can't even tell you what my favorite is it would change by the day but it was just like a great introduction to, you know, a fresh new sound, A. Marie and Rich Harrison. And, um, man, it just came at a time when I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is what I needed at this time. Like, this sounds like nothing else out there. So when you get something like that, it's just refreshing. You know, that's what music's all about. So I still listen to it a lot. You know, A. Marie may have retired from music now. We don't know. But, man, I play that one a lot still. What about you guys? Man, listen, that album is another one that I've got such great stories attached to. Because that album dropped in 2002. I was living in Louisville at the time. So I I don't think I was there a year yet. And I would always on Tuesdays go to Best Buy and cop the new album. And I was so excited for this album. And I got there and it was like $5.99. You know, most new releases were like $9.99. And I was like, why is this album $5.99? Is it like whack? Is it like, why is there, why are they selling it for such a discounted price when Why Don't We Fall in Love was such a huge song at the time? So it was very odd that it was, for some reason, that cheap price point made me expect the album to be whack. But I threw it on because I had to drive to Indiana to pick up my wife. Well, she was my girlfriend then, but I was going to go pick her up. And at the time, 
Indiana, for those who don't know, like Louisville and Indiana is like nothing. They're like five minutes away from each other. So I had to drive over there, but I was driving to a place I hadn't been. So I wanted to have some, you know, some backup music just to kind of make the time go fast. The album is super short, and Tom can speak to this. Like the tracks fly by. But man, every song is a banger. I, and like you said, I can't really pick. A, my favorite song one minute it'll be why don't we fall in love the next minute it'll be talking to me next minute it'll be like I don't know all I have the um, title track there are just so many great songs and the best thing about the album is something we don't see anymore she came with a totally new sound and completely revolutionized she came new sound her and Rich Harrison just blew it up and then they repeated it they came with a second album and they changed the game again with the second sound. To this day, I do not know why Amory was not a huge star. I've said on record, she should have been as big as Rihanna is. Because those first two albums and that album that was released overseas, unbelievable pieces of work that sound different, that sound fresh, that sound nothing like anybody else. Everybody was copying her style with the go-go beats later on. But she was ahead of the curve. And she just never took off like she should have. I never understood that. You know what's actually interesting about that album, and it, it might just be me, but like, that album sounds way better when you listen to it from top to bottom than it does if you just pick out random songs from the album. That's true. And I yes. have a lot of people argue with me about my album reviews because of that. I remember that the most recent incident that happened was the DJ Khaled album, not this most current one, the one with he was sitting on the cover with the lion, Major Key. And people were like, your score is too low. There are great songs on it. And I'm like, yes, there are three good songs on it, but there are 20 terrible songs. When you listen to an album, it should be a complete listening experience. And a lot of albums I review, I mark down the scores because it's not a good listening experience. It's not just picking random singles off. But the reason why I gave A. Marie five stars, yep, I gave that album five stars, because it is a superb listening experience from beginning to end. Agreed. Yep, for sure. But my counterpoint to that is the fact that, like, and it just might be me, but like when you name certain songs from that album, I can't actually hear it in my head. Like, it's it's like how like some people when they recite the alphabet, they gotta start from A to Z, A to Z every time, in order to do it. They can't just start from like K or L. That's the same way with this Amory album. Like if you like a song like Can't Let Go, I can't actually hear that in my head right now. I gotta listen to the album from top to bottom to hmm. to remember what song that was. No, and that makes sense. I can repeat it because I'm not gonna sing the song. But I was just so obsessed <laughs> with his album that I know how the whole thing goes. But yeah. again, like sometimes I will hear a song, and it happens on this album too. And as the song fades out in my brain, it automatically hears the next song, even though I might be listening to a single on my MP3 player, and that's not the next song. I'm listening to it on shuffle. But when I hear some songs, I'm going to expect, why don't we fall in love to fade right into talking to me? And again, that's the mark of a great album. That's great album sequencing, and it is a lost art. People just don't know how to do that these days. I agree. Poor agree. Seven. Yeah. Seven Street, she could have learned something on that one. Poor Seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Ed. Well, player, I've talked about Kelly, I've talked about Nicole. You know I got to bring it back to my boy Keith. Oh, 
<laughs> Listen, player, I had oh. we had to do this. Listen, one of my favorite albums of all time, the 1996 self-titled debut. Oh, well, not debut, self-titled Keith album. It's not his debut. It's like his fifth album at this point. Now, I've always been a Keith fan, but when people ask me what was the album that made me like a Keith maniac, this was the album because I was a fan of his stuff. I love Cut Close. I love Silk. I love all of his stuff that he was doing with the groups. But man, this album, man, this album. We had the breakout singles, of course, with Twisted and Nobody and those songs and Just a Touch. But it was the album cuts that had a brother coming back. Those slow jams and like the Show Me the Way interlude, those songs were so gripping. And really the only song on the album I don't really like is the last song. It's just all right. It's a little too slow and murky. But the rest of the album, I can't get enough. I remember when I saw Keith live for the first time, he was singing not just his big hits. He was singing random tracks off this album. I was screaming like a little girl throwing panties (laughs) on the stage. I was losing my mind. Wow. Wow. So you're you're telling us you threw your boxers on the stage? I did. I kept my boxers on, player. The draws didn't leave my behind. But I may have considered it a couple times. Oh, wow. my goodness. <laughs> um, I don't have much to say except I'm, I'm not a huge Keith Sweat fan. The, the vocals character right there. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying the vocals for me are a little hard to digest. Oh. <laughs> I'm Come just on, letting that's... it slide, play. I'm in a good mood. I'm letting it slide. Oh, boy. <laughs> the boxers wow, are off. He's in a good mood. Yes. <laughs> oh man um now i want to choose an album of mine now this is actually i would say this is my favorite album i don't think it's the best album but it's definitely my favorite and that's genuine's sophomore album 100 percent genuine and mm-hmm. just to give you guys some backstory on this as well I remember this was probably around 2000 and I want to say 2003, 2004. I went back because I, I knew of all the hits. I knew of Pony. I knew So Anxious. I knew all of that stuff. But I actually went back and listened to his first two albums and his third one, actually. Um, and I remember listening to The Bachelor and it was just a bunch of burping sounds all over the, all over the album. So I couldn't really get into that one. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. And Burping sounds. Quite frankly, there's still a lot of that going on in that album. Which, by the way, it's also a very solid album. But I couldn't digest that at that time. At that time, but 100% that album. Not only is it my favorite album, for me, that is the album that I think shaped and changed how I listen to music today. From really? Timbaland's production, because. What's interesting about Timbaland's production on that album, of course you had the Godzilla sounds, you had the double stuttering beats, but it was even songs like I'm Crying Out, which had more of like a Latin flavor to it. Mm-hmm. I think that that type of production, it opened up the gates for me to start embracing on more than just, you know, the, the typical hip-hop and R&B beats that was going on at that time. Um, and this was around the same time that, you know, Timbaland and... And uh, who else was it? Uh, DJ Quick were doing some of that Indian-sounding music. Yep. So it really opened the gates for me. 
And uh, along with that, the harmonies from, from Static and the rest of Playa on that album, I think that as well really um, opened up how I listen to music. And it's just like, that's what I look for in music nowadays is that vocal production, those harmonies. And I mean, to be honest, you don't really hear a lot of that today. But I mean, that that's the standard for me. And, you know, just melodically and the songwriting itself, it was different, different uh, subject titles as well as different subject um, you know themes like what was that one song where Jenny Wine's knocking off the springs on her mama's on his <laughs> mama's couch or whatever stuff like that it was it, it, it was different and it was fun um, but that was the album that really I think changed the way I look at music so 100% that Good one. is another great album that's one of those albums I really only heard that album pretty recently and by recently I mean probably like 2011 or 2010 around the time Spotify came out because that was I had never heard that album in full and I always wanted to hear it in full and when Spotify came out and it just basically had every album you could ever think of on it I remember that was the first album I had to go to work that day and it was like a Saturday I had to work on a Saturday which sucks I was the only person in the whole office and I was like I'm gonna listen to this genuine album for the first time front to back and I listened to it and was like, where have you been all my life 100% genuine? Because it was phenomenal. And we don't give sometimes Tim Land enough credit for the way he really revolutionized both R&B and hip-hop. With those stuttering beats and those wacky samples that we take for granted now. But I'm telling you, in 96, when he came out with... One in a million, I remember specifically, and it had those cricket noises, and the people were freaked out. Like, they were like bugs in their speakers. It was like, <laughs> why does this song sound like this? What's that noise? What's going Because R&B never, and nothing ever sounded like that. He was creating beats, and then he would create another beat on top of the beat, and then he put in odd samples, and the listening experience was so different. And coming from someone who came from that era, who just a year ago, production sounded nothing like that it was really insane to hear that level of production so my man tim and missy and that whole crew gets needs to have so much credit for reshaping music to what it is today i like the album a lot too um same old g especially one of my favorite songs ever um a couple underrated songs on this album that you guys i don't even know if you like them but for me two sides to a story i really like and yeah, yeah that like that one. I actually like Kyle. I know we talked about this one, but I know I really like, and you don't like it. I think it's all right. That's probably oh. one of the weaker ones on the album. But oh, it's still good. Man. Still good. Funny that I actually never liked "So Anxious" until recently. Kyle will tell you. I thought it was too slow, too boring. I, and re- I'm with you at the time, and that's yeah. why I never copped the album. What's so different? was kind of annoying to me. I felt like the Godzilla stuff was a little overblown. And So Anxious was a little too... And I'm a fan of slow jams. I felt like it was a little too slow. Yeah. Now, none of your friends' business was cool. But, yeah, I'm with you. So Anxious, I didn't get the hype. I love it now, but I didn't get the hype at the time. Yeah. Alright. I'm up again. Uh, Alright, I'm going to go with Music Soul Child this time. Oh, uh, no, of course. <laughs> you guys, you picked Keith Sweat. 
Uh, I knew it was. Well, coming. what's the album before I saw Hayden? I'm gonna I'm gonna mention his first one, but I want to mention uh, there's a reason I'm choosing that one because I actually didn't like it at first. Really, it took time. It needed time to grow on me. If we were in today's day and age, I probably would have never gave it a second chance and would have just been done with it and never listened to music Soul Child again. Because I actually didn't what even a like. World. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even like Neo Soul. Really, I thought the the arrangements were too abstract for me, and I just couldn't really get in too, you know, too soulful. It wasn't really for me. It's grown on me in later years, but like I thought, music was going to be the same thing. And it actually ended up growing on me a lot. I'm not saying it's the best album ever, but for me, you know, like a lot of the subject matter is relatable. Um, it's one I, I don't really skip many songs on. There's a few I might hear in there, but uh, I didn't even like Sonny, uh, this first single, to be honest. I didn't either. I didn't like that song at all. And like you, yeah. I almost didn't give the album a chance. I, I was in college when it came out, and I remember my friends were like losing their mind over that song like it was so great now like ah, yeah. this song is just okay i i didn't even like love as much either to be honest that's another one it's it's weird actually i like love but the problem with love is one of those songs that just suffered from the radio playing it to death and it was yeah. just like i just got sick of it but i did like love sunny cool. was not my jam you know what's grown on me, and more these days I'll listen to it, uh, Sonny. But what what about you, Kyle? Do you like the album? Um, that was an album that, really, the first album that I really got into for music. As we go back to the whole Tank discussion, Love and Music was the first Music Soul Child album that I truly embraced. And I remember us having this, this conversation. This was probably a couple of years ago. And I was telling you, I'm like, man, I think I'm ready to get into this urban <laughs> AC thing. And it's funny, every time I told Tom this, he's like, nope, you're a couple years uh, too early. You got to wait. You got to grow up a little bit. <laughs> and I'm, I'm still not at that age where I'm allowed to listen to Anthony Hamilton yet, apparently. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I was ready to listen to Music Soul Child's first two albums. I listened to it. And just like that Tank album that I was talking about earlier, I did not get it at all. And then yeah. I think a year or two went by and I was like, Tom, I'm ready. Let's give it a listen. And I listened to it and um, I like the two, the first two albums, but I don't love it. I'm not sure if it's because, you know, I'm still not ready or if they're just not classics and they are what they are, um, which, is my, which is probably why he's not in the Hall of Fame. But I do like a couple of songs. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We gotta give it another two years before I can decide on that. But one song that's really grown on me is uh, "Merry Go Round." That's a that's a mm-hmm. sad song. That's a sad, no, that's very sad. A song. <laughs> and I, I I'm kind of with you. Like uh, when music came out, there was such hype around him with Just Friends, and I think he came out as the neo soul genre was just starting to explode. And the good thing about music. It's that, while I know that Tom isn't a big fan of the neo-soul genre, I do understand why he likes music, because he's a good bridge between kind of like the previous R&B generation and that neo-soul sound. Because he's not completely neo-soul, but he has elements of both, and it makes it a little easier listening than like D'Angelo's Voodoo or something that's just like so heavy that you might not be able to get into it. 
And as much as I love to give Tom crap about music, his first album is by far his best. I still hesitate to call it a classic, but I love the album. And the album you mentioned, Kyle, Loving Music, I feel like that's his most underrated album by far. And of all yep. the newer music albums, that's the one that I play the most. Isn't it interesting, too, that, like what Kyle was saying, like me, I was able to get into Anthony Hamilton, Anthony Hamilton, who I consider, like, you, you need to be have a conditioned ear and, like, a grown ear to appreciate as an, someone yep. in their early 20s. Like, Charlene, I was bumping, I was, like, 20, 21. But Kyle, Man, Kyle's still in his mid-20s to late 20s, can't, like, he's not conditioned to that. So I, I just found yeah. that interesting. I think it's just because of background. Because, well, although Kyle, like, you know, thanks to his mom, put him on to good stuff from the beginning, he said in his own words that, like, the stuff that he kind of came up on was Chris Brown and, uh, and Ashanti and that type of sound. And that's a stark contrast from the, the Charlene sound. So while he was exposed to it, those other sounds is what made him a music fan, well, a R&B fan. And that's what has kind of stuck with him. And that's why I think a lot of younger fans, and really older fans too, struggle with newer music. Because if you became a fan of R&B in 1995, you are not going to hear anything that sounds like that in the current landscape. And that doesn't mean that everything sucks. I get annoyed when people are like, everything sucks. No, it doesn't. (laughs) It's just not the sound that you can relate to. And there are, and I'll admit, there are lots of current sounds that I'll recognize as okay, but it's just not for me because that's not what made me a fan. So we always want to go back to the sound that made us a fan. And in Kyle's case, it was Ashanti. In Tom's case, it was kind of the John B. sound. For me, it was Keith. So we all have those preferences, and sometimes we can deviate. But sometimes it's hard when you're dry, moving that far away from the sound you love the most. Hey, Ed, you know I do like other artists like Brandy and Usher and Genuine. Why do you got to keep throwing Ashanti into it? I, I, <laughs> I can see what you're doing here. Oh, I mean, there's no... I'm doing it because you can see it because you love that Chapter 2 album. I'm, that's what I was waiting for you to pick so I can destroy it. <laughs> Woo! Doing the worst top five albums I have spent money on. That one, 50 Cent second album, 808s and Heartbreaks. Those were probably the three worst albums I've actually bought. Hey, Ashanti looked good on the album cover. Oh, Lord, she did. She looked good riding that elephant on the All Baby song. But once that song stopped spinning, you went for a long night. Oh. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, what was man. 50 Cent's second album? The, the Candy Shop album. Well, that, I don't know if it... Yeah, the Candy Shop joint. It's, I don't know if that's officially his second album, but that was the the second album off of the... After his big run. The one after okay. Get Rich. But yeah, that, that Massacre album was horrendous. Is that the, the, the album that had Ski Mask Way on it? Yes, that's the one good song off that album. <laughs> I love that song. That's a good song. Wow. All right, we ready to get into this Hall of Fame thing? It's about that time. So, last week we talked about Donnell Jones and our boy Robert Kelly. Robert Kelly, as much of a travesty as it was, he managed to get into the Hall of Fame. I'm still disappointed in you guys. Says the man who has Chapter 2 on repeat, but proceed. 
Donnell Jones, we love him, but he couldn't get in. Now we have two new, um, two new artists, or not two new artists, two new nominations that we want to put into it. And this one is an old school one, guys. This comes from one of our fa- one of our fans. They wanted us to nominate Johnny Gill. Who, mm, mm, mm. who doesn't know Johnny Gill? My my he my. Was, my 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 he, Stop. you know new edition solo career lsg still doing it today he has a song with jaheem on urban ac that's blowing up and he's done so well on this new album i mean johnny gill man and no pun intended but still winning and he's a game changer johnny gill is he yep. in the hall of fame oh my gosh this is a very difficult one because Ah, this is tough because you're looking at two different careers. Do we weigh in his work with New Edition? If you weigh his work with New Edition solely, because New Edition, in my opinion, should be that should be a whole different nomination. And to me, that's kind of a no brainer. But that's for another debate. Johnny Gill as a solo artist for his era. One and to me, still one of the greatest voices in R&B history. I was just telling a friend of mine that I feel like. His performance on Can You Stand the Rain is probably top three vocal performances ever I've ever heard in my life. Vocally, he is a mastermind when it comes to his 90s singles. Amazing. LSG, y'all know how I am there. I'm not even going to give you that because you know what (laughs) I'm going to give you with the LSG. But the thing that I hesitate it's that his single run was so limited. And we don't and you don't think of it being limited because he was always present. He was always first he was in New Edition. And I know he had a career before New Edition, so stands don't come yelling at me. Yes, I know about the States of Ladisol stuff. Chill out. But we're talking about the New Edition stuff. Then he had a huge solo career. Then back to New Edition. Then LSG. But then when he tried to do the solo stuff again, eh, it kind of fell off because he had been so synonymous with the group outside of that era in the early 90s where he was really dominating the game that it really makes his later solo work look really uneven. So as a solo artist, it's really hard to say. I'm going to go with... I'm going to give him a very, very, very hesitant yes. But I could be convinced otherwise. Well, I have a feeling you're going to be the only one voting on this one, since I don't think I've ever listened to a Johnny Gill album. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) And I'm pretty confident Kyle hasn't either. Well, yeah, we know that. But come on, (laughs) player. Eh, a little too snoozy for me. I'm just kidding. Oh. Snoozy? You haven't even I'm heard the whole album. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't listened to enough of his discography to even comment on this one. But you still got so a that's, Okay, so based on almost nothing, I'm going to say no. <laughs> based on nothing. I just flipped the coin mm. and it came up no. Wow. I can see the fans... Uh, Yelling at us on Twitter already. Especially, oh, man. especially if Music Soul Child didn't get in, and Joe no, didn't get here in. Here we go. And Monica didn't go. get in. 
I love how you keep dragging Monica's corpse out of the, the graveyard of rejects. <laughs> Tom, Tom, I, Tom, do you hear uh, someone knocking on your door? I think it's Derek Dunn with a baseball bat. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> oh, Shout out Derek Dunn. He's going to be heated after this one. Yep. Um, now, with my very limited knowledge of New Edition and Johnny Gill, I'm going to say... No, for the for the points that you made, Ed. Um, his latter stuff, aside from this album, which I thought actually did very well from what from what I remember, it's actually done pretty well. But when you compare it to his earlier stuff, which I know is not fair as well, it's it's like night and day. Um, what I will give him credit for, and Ed, you're the historian on this one, but I'm gonna give this to him as a as a plus. It's not gonna put him in, but I'm gonna give it to him as a plus. When Bobby Brown left New Edition and Johnny Gill came in, number one, the fit was pretty much perfect. And I think Johnny Gill, correct me if I'm wrong, but he brought in a more mature sound for the group. Or not, I'm sorry, Very not Bobby so. Brown, but Johnny Gill, yes. Very can much you stand so. The rain? The so it kind of rebranded them and reinvented them. That's very true because at the time the sound was still very... They were, we have we talk a bit about this a lot with a lot of current artists about how they can mature without losing themselves, and it's a very hard transition to make. Look at Trey Song's most recent album, going from popping bottles and pouring bottles on models, whatever foolishness he's talking about, to suddenly singing these mature sounds songs is really jarring. But for a new addition to sing kind of their bubblegummy songs, and here comes Johnny with his man like voice. Singing Can You Stay in the Rain, it was a very seamless transition. So he definitely, I feel like, should get props for that. Yeah, and I think that's what that's what has me conflicted right now. Um, let me just quickly do my Wikipedia research and I'll make my final decision right here. Yeah, I'm going to have to go... <laughs> Wikipedia I'm going to have to research. go with no, man. I mean... Oh! LS... Yeah, I'm going to have to go with no. The impact of his solo career, I don't think it's there, unfortunately. No, I agree with you. And that's yeah. one thing that takes away from Now, early in the early 90s, when My My Wild was killing it, it was there. But his solo, if we're judging this just by solo, that's really where he has the deficit. So, But it's hard to judge him solo when he's just been tied to so many groups for so long. It's a really tough one to weigh. Yep, I will say though he is like a vocal beast. He's one of the best vocalists from the '90s of all time, player. Yep, of all time. So um, I guess Johnny Gill is a no. I think we're gonna have a pretty, we're gonna have a lot of mad New Edition fans. But Tom started it, well, so it's okay. <laughs> it's nice no. that somebody is mad at y'all and not me for once. So we good. Mm-hmm. So, um. Johnny Gill is not in. Tom, it's your turn to nominate someone. Who are you going to nominate? I got a good one. Uh, this guy's had plenty of hits. He's had some good albums. Uh, most importantly, he's got a nice head of hair on him. That's got to count for something, what? right? <laughs> I mean, maybe. You know who I'm talking about? It's Robin Thicke. <laughs> he doesn't have Robin nice Thicke. What we know about him, he's got a nice head of hair on him. <laughs> Hey, you gotta say something nice, right? Yeah, because yeah, these days it's a struggle. 
in all seriousness, he's looked at like a joke now, and he's gone through some of uh, some personal issues, and you know. But we kind of forget some of the great music he's left behind, and some of the great songwriting he's done, and also that he's a pretty talented vocalist as well. I don't know if I'd say he has a classic under his belt, but he's had some timeless hits. And um, I don't know. I want to see what you guys think about this one. Yeah, I would definitely, I wouldn't say he has a classic, but I think Lost Without You is a song that will go on to be timeless. It's still, I'm probably about 10 years old now, but I still think that once those guitar licks come on, you automatically know what song it is and you get hyped. Um, my wife, I will say, has been down with that dude before the hype. Because I remember when that song, his first song off his first album, which was not Evolution of the Robin Thicke. It was the album before that. So uh, the Jesus era. World. Yes, the Jesus. Jesus era. Boy, my wife loved her some Robin Thicke. And his first song was like called, I think it was When I Get You Alone, something like that. But she loved that song and we caught the album. And she was obsessed with the album. And I liked it a lot. But it was just almost kind of strange that she loved the album so much and she was like this guy's gonna be next star blah 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 and she was right because the second album was able to build upon that and kind of reach urban audiences in a new way and i think the struggle with robin thick is that he has so much potential to be the next huge r&b star and it just didn't work through those personal issues i know we can Talk all day long about the Blurred Lines controversy. I, I will go down saying that I like the song. The album was horrendous, but I did like the, the infamous song. And I think that some of the, oh, it was talking about rape. Some of that was a little exaggerated. But holler at me on Twitter at E.T. Bowser if you want to fuss about that. But pro, his problem was he just let those personal demons just kind of tear up the foundation that he built. Whether it was... The lawsuit or chasing behind Paula and then unfortunately he lost his father and other personal issues. He just really lost his way. And even though he's given us kind of good songs here and there, he hasn't been able to follow up on the momentum he had way back in 06. So I'm a fan, but by no means should he be in the Hall of Fame, at least not yet. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm a fan as well. I actually really do like Robin Thicke. I think he's... You know, we talked about last week with Donnell being in that underrated Hall of, underrated list. I would put Robin Thicke probably in there as well. He has had a lot of great songs if you really go back and listen. And he is a true musician as well. Um, the one thing that kind of surprised me about him, and I don't know him personally, but I used to think that Robin Thicke was in that Joe category in terms of him being just that nice guy. And then once the paparazzi turned on him and started exposing everything that he did, I'm like, maybe Robin Thicke's not such a nice guy. And that kind of disappointed me. Um, I'm going to say no for the Hall of Fame, but I want to ask you guys, do you think Blurred Lines is going to go down as a classic? Or was that a song for the moment? Because that actually is like the highest selling song of all time. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those songs of... the. Unfortunately, I was about to say it was going to be one of those infamous songs like Ice Ice Baby, where people will never forget it and singing karaoke for a thousand years. But the problem with that song is just so much baggage behind it because of the allegations of rape, whether that's there or not, and then the lawsuit and all this stuff. And I think that's what his career has just been so cursed in some ways that although that song probably would have been, if not for all that stuff, 
one of the most remembered songs of all time, whether or not it's good. It just comes with so much baggage that I don't think it's going to reach that level. Yeah. Um, I think it's still going to, you know, it's going to come on. People are going to still groove to it, though. I feel like it'll still be played. Oh, yeah. No question. And It'll get played, but I don't know if it's going to be one of those kind of like, I thought it would be like this generation's You Can't Touch This. One of those songs that you roll your eyes and you don't admit to anybody you like it. But when it comes on, you know, the shoulders start to you start to bank head a little bit. The shoulders start moving a little bit. But I don't know, because most people now that I hear that song just groan. So, hmm. who knows? Poor yeah. Robin. Poor Robin, indeed, because like, we forget when that song came out, that was during the whole EDM era, where, where everyone was using glow sticks and fist pumping. And this song came around and pretty much shifted the pop scene for a minute. Everyone started doing more of a disco throwback sound thing, and I don't think it gets the credit it deserves for that. It doesn't. And it was monumental. And I was one of the ones trying to push it because even though I recognize it is a very goofy song, it was well done. But I don't know if it'll be remembered that way. Yeah. Hey, Tom, I got a question for you. Yeah. What rhymes with hug me? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. That has had to be the worst line in, like... The past 10 years of music. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> but, no, Robin Thicke is not in the R&B Hall of Fame, but um, he he does have some great songs. Morning Sun was one of our favorites of, wow, that was two years yeah. ago. Yes. 2015, that was one of our favorite songs. So, we're still yeah, waiting, Robin. He didn't Robin. follow up on that at all. No, he didn't. So, we're still waiting on him. But, he's not in our Hall of, in our hall of Fame, so... We're going to have to move on. Um, I mean, I, I think that's pretty much it for this week's podcast. I mean, it was a little different than some of our previous ones, but we really wanted to take a step back and talk about some of our favorite R&B albums. And to be honest, there's just not much going on in R&B these days, so we got to dig into the crates and talk about some of our favorites, right? Well, I think a lot of fans, and and you guys know this too, a lot of times we'll just get random messages about, hey, what's your favorite? Especially with me, because I spend so much time yelling about stuff. I'm like, player, what do you like, actually, since you hate everything? So it was good to talk about some of our favorites. And maybe one day, I've been meaning to do this forever on Soul and Stereo, but maybe I will compile that list of albums that I consider five-star classics, since people are mad because I never give anything five stars. Tell your artists to make better albums, and I give them more <laughs> stars. But there are plenty of five star albums out here. We talked about Tony Bratson. We talked about A. Marie. Plenty of heat out there. I shot tap chapter two, but hey, <laughs> I said five, not negative five. Geez. Oh, calm down, Ed. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, that seems to be it for this week's podcast next week we'll go back to talking about that regular r&b stuff whether it's usher or tlc or tyrese we talk about them all on our podcast and uh stay tuned like i said earlier in the podcast for the second installment of the r&b draft we're going to try to put that together relatively soon um so yeah stay tuned we are out of here right guys peace we out peace